0: Welcome, travelers. I'm Josh. I'm Glenn. And I'm Lee Wanika, and this is Tabletop Journeys, where we will be your humble guides on the quest
1: to RPG adventures. Here at Tabletop Journeys, we are all devoted role players and storytellers at heart, and we absolutely love sharing our passion with you.
2: In our main podcast episodes, we discuss D&D 5E's core rules and ever-expanding content, while also showcasing other RPG systems and bringing you fresh, new
0: projects from indie content creators. Let us help you get the most out of your story, no matter what game world you're playing in, because detailed settings, heroic characters, vibrant NPCs, and a focus on story over rules can make any campaign legendary.
2: A message from friends of the show.
1: What up, Nerd Nation? Steve here from the Dads with Nerdy Ambitions Podcast, or DNA for short, your go-to podcast for all things nerd culture. You want to know fun facts about the latest movies? Done. Interested in a new hobby? We've got you. Have questions and want to hear from the experts? Say no more. Join me and my crew every week to hear about our latest takes on everything nerdy and go on a few tangents on the Dads with Nerdy Ambitions podcast. For we know it's not just a hobby, it's hereditary.
2: Welcome everybody to today's episode. So we have not gone to this well for quite some time here. There's been a little bit in in between our episodes all about the various classes of of D&D 5th edition, so we're going to crack open that egg one more time here. But before we get into that, Leoneka, Glenn, pleasure as always to see you on this uh, fine Tuesday evening. I say this every week, but I really do hope that it is warmer in Connecticut than it is in Maine right now. We're in the January doldrums of just awfulness. we got like 12, 13 inches of snow on... What, Saturday? We're getting another 12 or so inches on Friday. It's in that time of season. But how are things down down in TTJ Studios South?
0: The snow was real. I mean, real. <laughs> it dumped on us something crazy. Yeah. Definitely dumped on us. It was cold. It was miserable. School was canceled on Monday because they still couldn't get everything plowed out and dug <laughs> out. Um,
1: two feet of snow throws a monkey wrench in the works. Yeah. Is that what you, you got? Wrench. like Two feet down there? Is that what you got? Yeah, it's something. About that. Yeah, yeah. No, it was it was like twenty two inches in Norwich. I think we were at twenty twenty one down here. So I just call it two feet. I figure that's close enough.
2: So on the heels of our really awesome playthrough, or uh, or what, it wasn't really an actual. It was like a play test of the Wizard rules from a little bit ago, where the three of us rolled up Wizard characters against uh, three randomly rolled creatures in that deadly encounter. We, we are rolled into
1: the woods and we're eaten by an owl bear. It was
2: rolled into the woods and were eaten by an owl bear after getting after getting really uh, beat up by a Yankee and an eidolon. Yeah, that was hairy and scary. It's, that, it, it was a bad
0: bard joke. It was really it
2: was a, what it was a bad bard joke exactly. <laughs> but tonight we're going to dive into the uh, the mechanics of the wizard class, and we're going to start as we always do with a discussion of the class in general, and then we will follow it up with a discussion on the subclasses, point by point, on the subclasses themselves to really do a deep dive in here. And And gentlemen, I will start with kind of some opening comments here. As always, and as really should be expected by this point, boy, was this exercise educational in terms of what the wizard class really can be, and on some level, what the wizard class is not in fifth edition. I think that it's very easy for us who have been playing for a really long time to sort of think about the wizards as what they were in earlier editions and not about what they are today the wizard is the logical extension from the magic user and the mage from earlier editions but it is not the same thing anymore they are distinctly different in terms of the way that they are constructed the way that what were traditionally the magic user abilities have spread out through all the magic user classes in fifth edition I think that's a big thing to the point that like in some of the subclasses in particular when they had abilities that we would traditionally ascribe to a different type of class in fifth edition that was noteworthy like there was one in particular that had ones like, "Oh, that's a sorcerer ability. That's really well placed. Isn't that nice to see?" That's my overall thoughts on the wizard class. But obviously, I would love to hear what you guys think. Glenn, why don't you start tonight? What do you? Sure. What was your your take on the wizard class as a whole?
1: I totally agree. Going through all of this, all of the wizard subclasses, and really doing a deep dive and giving it a thorough read. I mean, it's totally different than when you walk into five e a year ago like I did, and you do your first read through the classes just to decide what you want to play, and then you've scanned them again or gone through them when you're talking to a, a player who wants to play this particular class, but really taking a deep dive into it shows you how much they have developed the wizard class and given it its own flavor, but broken down into the different schools. When the schools were first introduced back in you know D&D. earlier editions of D&D, they were basically just a, a division of the spells, and it was meh. But being developed to the point now where there are specific powers that are arising from your connection to and practice with conjuration or abjuration or divination. And divination, yeah. spoiler alert, really surprised me. I didn't expect that to be a class I would want to play because it just doesn't seem like a good adventuring player class. But a yep. whole lot of fun and really opens the eyes in terms of what they've done to broaden the yep. class and the way they have mixed and matched and brought in other things.
2: I definitely agree with that point about the way that they have split up the the, the schools in second edition, and had the schools all had this sense of polarity to them, right? You could right. be a school, but that meant you couldn't take other spells that were on the diametric opposite of your chosen school, and that was neat and that was fun and it gave some flavor and everything like that. But I like the way that they have that they've taken away that restriction. But they took away the stick and they gave the carrot instead. And I like the way that they did that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it makes sense because everything works in polarity. So trying to do the polarity thing, it did make sense when it came out and it was neat. But it was limiting, too. And it's more fun to give people the room to expand as opposed to restrict them. So
0: When I looked at it, I had similar thoughts to you guys. But what I really focused on was a lot more towards the flavor of what was going on. I never felt that the schools in three five specifically, because that's where they came out, or at least I remember them coming out in a more specific and uh proper fashion. I think they were discussed in the latter years of two E. Yeah, Maybe in there in general, but I don't remember them being a big thing. I think it was just that. It was about having opposites. It was light versus dark, it was this versus that. And that had its merits. I think it had its place. I think it was fine. This, like you've mentioned, is different, but what I focus on is how different it is. What I literally realized as I'm looking at these classes is, uh, these subclasses, I found specific wizardly, magically oriented characters in literature, in film, in TV that could be defined by one of these schools very like, much you so. can find the diviner who's like this hermit or this Oracle whose base whole basic archetype in the movie or in the show is to tell you, um, you are the one you have to do this thing or are you the one? Or are you not the one I know, but the, but you're going to have to find out on your own and their spells, their powers lean into that a, quite a bit. However, It wasn't as explicit in those shows. Like, this is just a person who casts Magic. I think the challenge with the subclasses is it makes it difficult to to play certain types of classes in certain types of games and get the full enjoyment out of it. I can enjoy every one of these with one exception. And I can tell you, with many of them, I'd have to be in the right game where I'd get the opportunity to flourish. And there are several that would be good in just about any game, but many of them really do require a type of game to have that be a thing. Or more importantly, a type of party where you not casting fireballs and lightning bolts isn't going to cause the party to fail or be upset with you because you don't do those things. Yeah, I totally agree with everything that you said there. And I
2: think that, when we get into the subclasses specifically, I think that this is going to be more apparent when we start talking about those. But I think in general, one thing that I found about the subclasses was that my desire to or not play a particular class rarely had anything to do with it's mechanical or flavor strength. Like there are some, there were some uh, subclasses that I was like, man, you know what? These mechanics just don't hold up to the other subclass. They just don't. But I really want to play one. Huh? So yeah. So the, I had a couple that were like that. Like, I don't know. When we get into the subclasses, we'll, we'll get into those. But that. The, but I had a couple of them like that. That are like, man, I, oh. I want to play this in the worst way. But yeah. You know. Like necromancy, I'll throw it out Like necromancy is one like that that I just like really want to play it, and I didn't think that its mechanics were very good. Its flavor is pretty because it's necromancy, so its flavor is pretty good. But man, did I want to play one!
1: (laughs) Yeah, and and sometimes it's hard to be to get behind the necromancy thing because it's often related to evil. But it doesn't have to be if you do it right. It's just a challenge. Creating that uh, that neutral necromancer that just looks as looks as corpses as a resource that could be he could be a good time have the keys to play it as a lizard folk. Then you're snacking on them, too, though. I mean, that's just like yeah. that's like a, a happy meal on legs, to quote Spike from Buffy.
0: And you're saying Spike was
1: wrong? Not at all. <laughs> um, all right. Let me just say, yeah, for ahead. 5e, yeah. I mean, I didn't play 4e at all. Did cantrips yeah. uh, not ha- costing spell cl- slots and being unlimited magic for wizards come out in 4e, or is that new to 5e? Because that's the best thing for wizards. Ever, I believe that
0: happened in 4e in some fashion, but the key is every class had at will powers, yeah. And so, the concept of give spellcasters at will <laughs> things did definitely come from
1: because mm. I loved the hell out of playing my wizards back in the days of first edition, second edition, third edition, 3.5, skipped four, yeah. as I just admitted again, but god. It sucked playing the class, that especially at early levels. You get one or two spell slots, although back then, if you were able to get a really good intelligence, you got additional spells per day based on that, which was nice. But once you're out of spell slots, you threw darts, and yep. that's it. I mean, that's all you got. Yeah. Or You lose your slingshot, yeah. Fighter, fighter mages. So having cantrips that do damage so that a wizard has a go-to attack that at least will work the same as a sword swipe to give them something to always be able to do in combat... Yep. That is something that yeah. know, magic using class, the magic user and wizard class, has been missing for a long yeah. time, and I love it.
2: And some of those cantrips are no joke too. That's a very handy benefit. So let's dive into the class and uh, start talking about some of the characteristics of the class here. And where I wanted to start today was on the concept of level progression for the wizards in general. Dive right in there because like. Nothing super about the proficiencies or the benefits or anything like that. That's all that feels pretty boilerplate to me. There's some variation from previous editions, but basically the it boils down to wizards are the smart spellcasters. They get all sorts of knowledge skills. They're the skills that would have formerly been knowledge in third edition. You had 17 different flavors of knowledge or whatever. That's what wizards get. They are the smart ones. They're the book they're the bookish ones. They're not the charismatic ones. They're not the warlocks or nothing like that. they're they're the smart ones. So I wanted to start with with the level progression. And there were two kind of big observations that I had about the level progression. And for one, I get that it's because they get spells, but there are a lot of blanks in the feature category of this table. They just don't get a lot of features until the very end. It does
1: look sad. You're not wrong. It looks I mean, a little when you're sad. Scanning down right? it compared to other classes, you you get every yeah. other level you get either either an arcane tradition feature or and or an additional spell. Yeah, get
2: a, a new level of spell. And so I get that sort of the balance, but it did make me a little sad. I thought in general what I saw here was a general lack of progression because think about it. From level 10 and beyond, you've, get, you've got five cantrips and that's all that you're ever going to get, right? Yeah. You're not going to get more. And then even when you look at the highest levels, you can never have more than one ninth level spell. You can never have more than one eighth level spell. Chances are likely you're never going to have more than one seventh level spell. You're never going to have
0: more than one sixth level spell. Never going to have more than one fifth level spell. I think the piece you're missing, this is where I'm going to disagree with you, is the fact that wizards, unlike sorcerers, unlike warlocks, unlike clerics, unlike paladins, unlike bards,
1: other casters,
0: get, get to pick up any spell they find and they have that opportunity to add it to their repertoire it mm-hmm. forces the player to make very good in game decisions on a regular basis what spells am i going to write in what spell what what spells am i going to prepare versus no what's going to be in my book it forces that issue but because of that i don't think that's a bad thing as storytellers, I think it also forces storytellers to make sure if you have actual wizards, not just your warlock, that you forget to really dig into their patron all that much, or the sorcerer, that you forget to leave out all the references to the draw of the power and the potency of their blood and the connections to the grand primordial past. It forces you to make sure you're doing things like put libraries in cities, have them. When have them find some tome or some scroll that can be used or added to. If you're not doing those things for your wizard or providing that kind of add-on and I forget these things too, this is not me wagging a finger, this is me just pointing out, reading this is actually re-energized my storytelling creation is the fact that I really need to do more of that. Looking at this progression, mm-hmm. it's like Fighters are good, going for that action surge. They're going for that next feat. Rogues are going for that next thing, that next immobility. Even the rangers, and we malign them a lot, they've mm-hmm. got some new Colossus Slayer ability or a spell or a, a new feature for their beast or a new whatever. Of, their, their drake just grew. There's so many things that are happening for all of these other classes, level by level, even if they're the light levels, that this forces storytellers and players both to do something with those nods as a storyteller who does milestones i should know when my players are hitting those light levels so i need to make sure i'm putting something in that reward area that would speak to that and make that more exciting
1: see i think it looks sad which is why i agree but in the end when you when i look at it it really does to a, a large degree help balance things out because they have the spells and i know it it looks empty yeah but and I agree with you at the end, by the time you're only getting one level eight and one level seven spell, those are a little sad, too. Yeah. But overall, okay. I think they did a great job of finding a way to create that balance and enable that quest for knowledge. I think, like Lee Wanika was saying, though, that's definitely downplayed. But if you're a storyteller out there, just keep in mind, if you have an actual, legit, knowledge-seeking wizard in your party, just finding a spell book becomes a whole awesome, like big huge loot reward of its own even if it's an early casting spell book and they can have so much fun if you give them a random table to see what spells they got themselves you can choose it too based on the wizard if you want but it just it create you can add so much flavor to the game for them to add that reward but you should be doing that for all your players anyway
2: and i think that's my overall take my overall lesson or my overall sort of observation about the wizard class here is that they Have and by they I mean wizards of the coast. When they wrote the wizard class, did a lot of work to rein this class in and keep it from getting too powerful. And I think that some, I think some fair, they did fail. I mean, I mean, they're still wizards, right? I mean, let's be honest. I mean, the wizards are going to wizard. I mean, that's just the way that it is. I do think that in some cases they they succeeded too much i think in some cases and specifically when we start talking about the subclasses and some of the really super strong limitations that they imposed on some of those powers i get that they did that for game balance but i think maybe
0: they could have added a little bit more salt to the stew and it would have been okay i think the answer to that is in the spells i think some of the ones that are a little lighter on the features probably have probably have the spells that make up for that in Ill- that's entirely possible i really i did not do a deep dive into
2: the spell schools from a spell point of view when i did my rating here i really just talk about the class in general because th- that's would have been this episode would be 17 hours long if we did that if, we, know, tried all, if we tried to do if
1: we try to cover all the yeah, spells yeah if we ever go I, through wizard spells we'll have to do it more as a we all go go through them and do a best
0: like a top awesomest five. least you <laughs> yeah <laughs>
1: underrated like a category I, favorite
0: yeah, what I will do is when I when I when we start talking about it and it didn't specifically factor into my ratings because what spells are available in a given game world there's a whole bunch of things with that but I will have that list up when we're talking and that way when we mention hey that level such and such ability is weak I will be able to take a glance and see yep. ah but here's the spell that fills that blank it's yep. at that level that kind of That'd
2: thing. be good information to know, yeah.
0: Yeah, so we'll be able to better inform that discussion, even though it didn't play into any of our rankings when we get to the rankings. Okay, so
2: we've talked about kind of level progression. Now, we've already talked about cantrips and how that's a great feature to introduce to your wizard to give them something to rely on that's still magical after they've run out of of their leveled spells. One thing we didn't really touch on was ritual casting. I think that is another really nice feature. Spells Dude, yeah. that are rituals are, they're not numerous and they do have that heavy casting time. It does take 10 minutes. So it's not something mm-hmm. that you can do in rounds or anything like that. Ten, 10 minutes is that general, you can't do this in combat time mechanic, but it doesn't require like a long rest or anything like that. It, it's 10 minutes. And I think that too, it means that a wizard no longer needs to burn a spell slot. For detect magic, or for right. identify, or right. for for things like that, it really it equalizes the playing field a little bit. It
1: opened up the utility yeah. a lot. It does exactly because you don't yeah. have to you don't have to burn that spell slot to have identity or available identify. prepared yeah, yeah. spell yeah. Yeah. to have it available because you don't want to wait till you get out of the dungeon to find out what the magic sword is. Yep, exactly. You know because yep. even if you pull a long rest in the dungeon, you still can't spare a, the prepared spell for identify because you might need it to fight. Yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. But it does bring up those situations and I've had it come up with me a lot where I've got player characters who are like, oh man, like I've created a situation where time is of the essence. Like we should do this. Like I can do it as a ritual. We don't got 10 minutes. Well, I guess we're not doing it. Yep. Or it creates some of that, that, that pressure, but that's what we want the game to do. We Mm -hmm. want there to be meaningful decisions. So without something like you have the option but you have to sacrifice this other thing Mm -hmm. it doesn't work so i i truly love the fact that it's done that way because of the situations it has the potential to create
1: and as a storyteller whenever somebody goes for a ritual they have to be uninterrupted and i mean 10 minutes isn't a really long time if they're in a dungeon casting detect magic that's a prime opportunity if you have an encounter in your back pocket to throw them a curveball, too. You can create all kinds of opportunities out of it depending on how the night's going or or the campaign is running. Just being able to have your spell slots back. Oh, yeah.
0: That's a shout-out to my Dungeons & Dads Facebook group that I've recently been a member of. Let's just talk about the fact that try to get 10 minutes to rest your eyes (laughs) <laughs> with your children running about right <laughs> yeah you'll understand that a, a short rest is a, a almost impossible thing to get let alone 10 minutes to do a ritual and that 10 minute ritual could literally be just washing your hands brushing your teeth and banging your head into the wall so yeah. like
2: yeah <laughs> we, we hear you
0: so the next sort of hallmark of the
2: wizard class here is this concept of Arcane recovery, right? Uh, you've learned to regain some of your magical energy by studying your spell book. Once per day, when you finish a short rest, you can choose expended spell slots to recover. Spell slots have a combined level that's equal to that is equal to or less than half of your wizard level. So this is one of those mechanics for me that I don't like. Hmm. <laughs> it's just it feels awkward. I do. It feels really awkward, but I'm not sure what I would do with it instead. You know what I mean? Like I, I like the concept of the ability and the concept of – the flavor of the ability is fine and mm-hmm. the concept of the ability is necessary. But mechanically, it just feels – Awkward, and I'm not sure how I would fix it. Because we have the podcast, and I don't have to shut up, I won't. But this isn't like this isn't like the kind of conversation that I would have like at a dinner party where it's like, hey, you know what? I really hate arcane recovery. What about that? You know what I mean? Because it's like because I don't know, I don't have a solution to the problem. I just was like, eh, the the whole like slots equal to half your wizard level or uh, equal to your wizard level or has half your wizard level if. I don't know. However, like I can't even like express it properly. Like it's like – it's just like it feels clunky and I'm not sure what the alternative is. So I have the
0: the response to that.
2: First, I have a
1: question, please, if you don't mind. Who wrote Slicing the Weave? I did. Almost the exact same verbiage to determine how many slots you can manipulate, Josh. I just wanted to bust your balls for a hot second. Damn it.
2: So slicing the weave for for those of you out there listening is in our we are currently compiling and putting together a book. There'll be a bigger announcement about it at the end of the month. Here, yeah. Now it's come uh, up it, twice.
1: We've got to talk about exactly.
2: It. We got to talk about it. <laughs> but one of, one of the feats is a is a feat that I wrote, taken from an, an old second edition Arcanum book that basically allows you to take spell slots and convert it into other spell slots and stuff like that. So apparently, I am uh, I am consistent in my inconsistency. The
0: answer is the secret sauce that we keep searching as we've been writing our own book and as we've been looking at these things in great depth, which is you want something that's simple, that's elegant. So much of this game is simple and elegant every now and then because there's, in some cases, just no other way to do it. You have to do something that's a little number crunchy. This happens to be one of those things. And I think the answer is you're right. Honestly, if Wizards, had a way to do something in an easier way, they probably would have done it. They
2: probably would have, yeah.
0: Uh, because we've seen so many things that they've done so easy that it's beautiful. And some things that have done so easy, we can't stand it, that why would they leave an outlier? The answer is because there, there wasn't a way that they could think of to do this type of thing and scale it and have it have meaning. And so I think the only way you could do it and scale it and have meaning is exactly what they've done here. When you take away mechanics like your intelligence creates this or whatever, you're really left with a few, very few options. So when you start talking about the wizard class, and what you can do with it, you end up with a few things that are like this. I find it clunky because of the math things. That's not my strong suit. Playing a magic user, honestly, I will just probably hope my spells go well. And I generally live by the I can't do a whole lot in a short rest anyway. I know it's here. The question is at the game table, will I remember? I guess we'll find out when I play a wizard long enough where it's been an issue. I've played two wizards in 5e, and I think I've only had one that's really been in situations where short rests came up. That is not counting <laughs> two wizards yeah. in full campaigns. Yeah, like I there just was no short resting going on there.
1: <laughs> right. Sure, there was after we were all
0: dead. I was, a yeah, I, a nice <laughs> so, I was wrestling with the bottom of
1: the Allbears belly, nice full belly taking it out. Uh, but I have to jump that's, in that's on the arcane rest, yeah. recovery thing now. Yeah. Cuz I agree and disagree with both of you and I have a, a possible solution. So, it's not crunchy. We it it involves some math, but so it's just half, halving a level, right? We have to all the time for resistances. Half comes up a lot. Right? So th- this is a mechanic that's re- that regularly occurs in the game, doing something to half your levels. So it's really not that crunchy. The way they wrote it does work. And flavor-wise and narratively, it makes perfect sense, especially with the increased focus on the short rest mechanic versus always having to take a long rest. And everybody else has something that they can recover from the short rest, so the wizard needs something. But even working in narratively, it makes sense too, because you're drawing on this well of magical energy within you and without, because you do draw magical energy from outside of you as well. But that internal reserve, taking a rest could help it rebolster. So I love Arcane Recovery. Again, it creates a little bit more utility for a wizard and it makes it a little bit less of, honestly at early levels a little bit less of a hardcore class because that's on the way it used to be looked at. You if you played a wizard unless you got until you got past level five, you were basically a paper oh. tiger who would go down if anything breathed on you. And, and keep... then you only had one or two spells and that was it for the day for the rest yeah. of the day. You're just following your friends around hoping not to get hit. Exactly. So just that little bit more of adding some recovery to the wizard, I think is awesome for playing one. And I get it, once they get to high levels they get stupid powerful. But how often do you get to the point where you're playing an eighteenth level wizard? Yep. You're often playing a tier one to tier two wizard. When your hit points are low, your spell slots are limited. You need this recovery. But what if it was proficiency bonus?
2: Proficiency bonus. uh, doesn't scale
1: as high necessarily. Right. It would be more of a benefit like at level one, where when you take a short rest and you're getting back two slots. Yep. But it would scale regularly with the level. If you don't like the half thing, you could do it.
2: Yeah, I thought about that. And if it were me and I had the chance to go ahead and write this, I would say that you can regain I'd be fine with proficiency level, but I would change it to you could regain a number of spell slots equal to your proficiency level up to your maximum number of spell slots. So like so let's I'm just gonna pick a level out of the I'm gonna pick 13th level, right? So at 13th level, my proficiency bonus is five. So right now I would be able to regain six levels of spell slot. I would only gain five. And I, if I was regaining five spell slots, I could regain a seventh level, a sixth level, my two fifth levels, and a fourth, which is a lot. I don't, yeah, I don't, I just don't know. I don't know.
1: I think the way they have it actually is right. I don't think proficiency bonus scales with this one. I was just trying to yeah. throw out another option for you.
2: Yep. No, totally. And I, I totally appreciate that. And I, when I first read it, I was thinking about proficiency bonus. And that difference of one spell level or one spell mm. slot or whatever is a big deal. That's a big deal for a short rest. Yeah. I, th- and this, thus my conundrum is that I, I don't know what the right answer is. I really don't. But I know when I read it, I was like, I just wish that it was I don't wish that it was stronger. I don't think that it's too strong. I somehow wish that it was better. And I'm not Mm -hmm. sure how... I don't know what that answer is. Maybe I'm just commenting on the inelegance that sometimes the player's handbook was written with. Like sometimes the verbiage is just a little clunky. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Instead of making maximum number of spell levels equal to half your wizard level rounded up, instead, you get back that number of slots but none of the spell slots can exceed half your wizard level. So you don't get high levels. It doesn't make it more elegant, but it yeah. it, it gives it a little bit more power without making yeah. it crazy. I, I yep. still think it's good the way it is. I really do. I yeah. think we're trying to fix something. Let me rephrase. I think y'all are trying to fix something that ain't broke. Sorry. <laughs> may not
0: be broken. I point out that it is something that I get why there are concerns with it. I get why it's a little odd, but the reality is I don't think it's, broken, I just think it's not the my favorite thing. It's just not my favorite mechanic. Yeah, exactly. It that's that's very much how I feel. Yeah,
1: yeah. alright. It, it does read yep. awkwardly. I just think it works well.
2: about the abilities that the wizard class does get. So after they've sort of expended all of their subclass levels, then they start getting kind of general wizard abilities. And they have two big abilities, one that they get at 18th level and one that they get at 20th level. The 18th level ability is Spell Mastery. Uh, You choose a first level and a second level spell and you can cast those without expending a spell slot. What did you... I don't want to go first on this one. Lumenico, what did you think about this
0: one? It's not enough and it happens too late. Yep underwhelming. Exactly. Yep. It's not enough and it happens too late. By the Magic time, time you're 18th ex-
1: level, does it matter if you can now cast Magic Missile as a cantrip?
2: <laughs> really?
1: Yes. No. Because it's a great spell. True. Alright, Magic Missile is probably the exception. But well, the rest right, but of ex- them ex- Except that, others that you are only great. get to
2: cast the first level version of it. As an 18th level wizard, when you get to go ahead and cast Magic Missile, yes, you get to go ahead and cast it at ungodly Ooh, levels but, and do more darts. But, but at first some... level Magic Missile,
1: Depending on how you chose, there's some that could be hot. Mage Armor is always good. Absorb Elements as a reaction. Counter spells want what, a third level spell? Yeah. Unfortunately, it doesn't get you third. I'd like it. That's when I say it doesn't give you enough. I'd like it to give you a third level as well. I know they don't want to give somebody Fireball as a cantrip, and that's why they stopped it. But why I want it for third level isn't for Fireball or Lightning Bolt. It's for more utility spells. But some of the utility spells being used, like a cantrip, Mm -hmm. could be hot.
2: Yeah, and I just think honestly, I, I I am not going to complain about an 18th level wizard that can cast Fireball as a cantrip. It's not like that's because yeah. again, they I mean, only honestly. get to cast the third level version. They don't get to pump it without using a spell slot. If they want to pump it, they have to go ahead and burn the yeah. spell slot. I uh, and or so I'd like,
0: like to
1: see it go know, to th-
2: third level Fireball is what is it? Is it 46 or 86? I 66.
1: Forget
2: now. 60. Yeah. I was right in the middle. Okay, so 66. An 18th level wizard, an 18th level fighter is going to have. Well over 100 hit points, probably closer to like 150, 160 hit points by that point. Yep. Chances are that your 6d6 fireball that is going to do an average of 20 hit points of damage, 18th, but that 18th, if you are the third level party invading the castle of that 18th level wizard, damn straight that he's going to be throwing six, 66 point fireballs at you as cantrips because he's an 18th level freaking wizard. Yeah, yeah.
1: You'd have to be worried about it.
2: Exactly. Exactly. So I think for an 18th level, mid tier four power, it has no sauce.
1: So, I mean, it's not like you can change it either. You get to pick one. Oh, nope. You can change it. Spending it hours and study, you can swap them you around. You can
2: change it. Yeah. 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 Oh. Yeah. yeah. Um, that's, so
1: that's you're, even you're, handier. I actually missed that when I read it the first time. <sighs> that that adds a little bit. It more has
0: ability. some utility. It's not
1: enough to make it enough for where it is, but it does yeah. make me happier with it.
0: If this so was he, happening around 15 or 16,
1: yeah. Spot on.
0: Yep.
2: So here's my question about that eight hours though, and it doesn't say this specifically. If I am an elf, eighteenth level wizard, and I don't need to sleep to take a long rest, can mm-hmm. I do this as my long rest? Yes. Yeah. I would. I would think so too. Yeah,
1: it's right? dedicated study. I mean, you couldn't. You'd have to then also do your other spell preparation. After it, you wouldn't be able to do an eight-hour rest, do this, and have uh, your other spells prepared.
2: Right. So, you wouldn't get your spell slots back is what you're saying.
1: I think you could still get the spell slots because you're still going to have the rest, but the prepared mm-hmm. t- time at the beginning, at the end of it's included in it is an hour or so of study with your book or yeah. something, isn't it? This, I might be something confusing like it with the way it used to be written. Yeah, But you, as a storyteller, I would make them add time to their rest in order to do this and then prepare their spells, even if yeah. it's not written that way, but I'm pretty sure it is
2: it it's vague enough in the rules that i think that is that probably falls under the rules as intended if not rules as written Okay. So Glenn, we'll go to you for this one. Uh, What about Uh the 20th level ability? Signature spells. You gain mastery over two powerful spells and can cast them with little effort. Choose two third level wizard spells in your spell book as your signature spells. You always have these spells prepared. They don't count against the number of spells you have prepared and you can cast each of them once at third level without expending a spell slot. When you do so, you can't do so again until you finish a short or long rest.
1: I, I think we answered this one when we talked about the last one, man. Yep. We, were, we we're basically saying that we would add third level to this if you are going to make it an 18th level. If you're going to make it the third. capstone, this should be just like the other one. But now you can do a third level spell and you have a fireball yep. cantrip or a uh, counterspell cantrip.
2: Yeah, and, and this, this again sort of epitomizes what I was talking about earlier, where it's like they put really tight governors on wizard abilities. This mm-hmm. is case in point. Not only so you get two third level spells, okay, sure, that's what we were talking about before, but you can only cast them one time. You basically like, get two. You get two. free, free spells. Third level spell slots yeah. is what you get. Super, super and, lame and,
1: for twentieth yeah. level. And
2: you have to limit them to go ahead and specific. You have to limit them to specific spells that you pick ahead of time. So it's, they're mm-hmm. not even like third level spell slots. They're just, they're like less than third level right. slots. <laughs> yeah, they, uh, very underwhelming done, in the class abilities.
1: They should have done spell mastery like we were just talking about at 16 Yeah. Leave it at level one and level two, and then have the yeah. capstone ability be an enhanced version at you level know, 18 or something. At yeah. level, yeah, maybe at 18 or now yeah. oh, You could leave it at the capstone. Yeah. Given I mean, them bar- that third level cantrip. I mean, it's really not even, unless you're throwing fireballs, defending a castle wall against mundane soldiers, it's really not even that powerful as you pointed out against similar yeah. level characters, hit points, and even for counterspell. Yeah, it's really cool to have, but counterspell, it's, it's still a nice ability. Roll. Yeah. Yes, and it limits your ability, your casting ability for the round. You have to make that choice over a more power spell. Spell. And
0: it's still a third level counter spell.
1: Yeah, and yeah. it's only third level. <laughs> yep, yep. I mean, it's still not even that. Yeah, no. They need a better capstone. Yep. in general.
2: Totally agree. I I think in general the abilities, and again, this is sort of the I get that they limited this because they're freaking wizards, Josh.
1: <laughs> exactly, but
2: barely at that. Let's be honest. But yeah, this is sort of their abilities are pretty underwhelming.
1: But. I do think, and I think this is a solid thing to say, the part of the reason for that is because so much flavor comes in with the subclasses. I think what they should have done is let the subclass apply the 20th level capstone ability. And given that last ability from the subclass- A little bit of flavor to it. And let them, let the subclass do some more of that capstone at the end form because there's so much flavor. Yes. And that would have made it better and more unique for everybody.
2: Yep. I I think that the reason why they did that is – and again, I'm going to put on my prognosticating hat a little bit here. I think the reason why they did that is because – think about the classes that have a 20th level capstone in their subclasses, right? Warlocks, paladins, things that really require devotion to a particular path and particular ideology. What they didn't want to do is – convince people to get that wizard capstone that's really useful that they want that they can't multi-class right and because the wizard fighter mm. is so common and the blade singer hadn't come out yet and all these other really cool wizard multi-class builds that you can do well all I those think-
1: multi-class builds have their own cool why not reward the pure wizard why not reward the guy who loves his crazy knowledge seeking yeah. gnome yeah. And give them I, something wicked ass cool yeah. for sticking with it for twenty levels.
0: You're not wrong. You're not I, wrong. I get it. I'm just yeah. I would even go so far as to say if that was their purpose, they actually did the opposite. Because mm. what this proves to me is I don't need to go to beyond 17. Yep. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think my,
0: my subclass is there. I mean, yes, ninth level spells are great. So there's some spell level things that come in, but honestly, even you're, when I'm looking at this, I'm like, I honestly think I could go as far as 17 to get that one nine, because that's all I need. Mm -hmm. And that's as far as I need to go. That gives me three levels in another class.
1: Take three levels of Warlock on top of this? Always with the multi-class. And I get it. The multi-classing is cool. But I've had this theory for a while. So I'm just, I mean, I've already thrown it out there. So I'm going to throw it the rest of the way out there. Throw it out there. Every class's final capstone ability should come from its subclass. Every one of them not from the main class, specifically because if you didn't stick it out through the entire thing and you multiclassed, then the fact that you were Order of Scribes or you were a Gloomstalker didn't really matter. But if you stuck it out to 20, you better have the best goddamn Gloomstalker ability on the planet. And that's why it should come from the subclass. It shouldn't come from the main class. I think that is weak sauce. I agree. Flavor, if, you, if you stick it out for 20 levels, all of the flavor for those final abilities, those final capstone abilities should come from your subclass, yep. not the main class.
0: I have six levels for HK. I'm a pretty good fighter. I'm not 100% sure I'm going to go the last two as a fighter. Right. Now, if we were doing Gestalt going, or semi-Gestalt, which would be you can pick up levels, you continue fighter levels, but you're basically getting the lower level features so you stop advancing in your subclass but you pick up another fighter subclass that would I would do it to stay fighter the whole way but honestly the last three fighters it's going to come down to role play whether I continue I might pick something else just
1: cuz a lot of times when I multiclass that's why role play a direction that the characters going
2: I am going I'm okay I do not hate that idea let me preface by saying that I actually really like that idea
1: it would create uniqueness I, for everybody, too.
2: I am concerned about their ability to write capstone abilities that aren't hot bowls of bullshit.
1: Okay. I'm not saying that Wizards of Coast could do right. this and pull it off. I'm just saying that's, <laughs> that's the way saying. it should be like, done.
2: If, if they demonstrated <laughs> that they could write good capstone abilities, I would be much more willing to go ahead and say, yes, absolutely. Let's invest more in them. Um but
1: most
0: of their capstone abilities are shitty. But and it's because
1: th- I think it's an afterthought, because most people don't play the game that far.
0: We're literally talking chicken and egg. Are they shitty yeah. because nobody plays that? And does nobody does play nobody that play them because they're, they're, they're
1: shitty? shitty. Yeah. Right. Uh, right.
0: And, and, and I don't know if there's a great answer for that. Yeah. yeah. Well, but no, if, no, if they wrote
1: them awesome, then we'd find out, wouldn't we? Because then maybe yep. more people would want to play to 20th level to get yep. those capstone abilities.
2: The next one that I sort of highlighted here, we mentioned the spell books earlier and how awesome a mechanic that is in terms of how to build your spell list and how you can basically build your spell list through adventuring. Like you automatically get two spells every level, that's great. But if you find that spell book in someone in the ancient wizard's tower or you find a scroll in a in a in a cavern or whatever, like you can find spells and you can build mm-hmm. your available list of spells that way. And I think that's a fantastic mechanic that is right on par and beautiful flavor for the wizards. The one thing that I wanted to go ahead and call out, and this was because it's a good thing, and it is a good thing that they really should have remembered when they were building the Warlock subclasses, is the bit about if you lose your spellbook. If you remember way back when we talked about the Warlocks and we talked about the Path of the Tome, this is something that they could have learned when they were writing Path of the Tome, is that losing the book should be important. I shouldn't be able to take a short rest and get the book back. And if you, one of the paragraphs in the spellbook, if you lose your spellbook, you can use the same procedure to Transcribe the spells that you have prepared into a new spell book, but that means that you have to spend the gold. You have to spend the time. You have to transcribe them again. But Failing you only out views-
1: can transcribe the spells in your head. Exactly. So
2: anything so that you if you, you have yeah.
1: 70 spells in your book because you've been collecting lore for 10 years, yeah. that's a huge – that's still a huge Absolutely. down. A yeah, huge yeah. negative. I thought you are saying it Especially- wasn't bad enough. I thought it was –
2: Oh, no, I, no I, th- I, I think it's fantastic because <laughs> imagine that you're that 17th level wizard who is like who's 112 because wizards age and, and is a little senile, but doesn't memorize wish that day and loses his freaking spell book. All he remembers is magic missile and counterspell like that's because that's all he ever needs. Oh, I, I, that's that little thing right there. Like, honestly, just that that put and even again, just like the whole like the transcription mechanic, right? Transcribing costs money. You have to pay the gold to transcribe the thing. A real world mechanic that most adventurers don't have to worry about it. But if you're playing a low treasure game, getting that 50 gold point th- that 50 gold coins per level to go ahead and transcribe a spell into your book is no joke. That's
0: I, I really like that. Enter order of caution is it could also turn your wizardly types into murder hobos. Oh, sure. Because yeah. towns have loot. Yep. And if he lost his book in The Last Adventure, <laughs> do you go after the dragon or do you go after the village? Or do you go after
1: 50 peasants? Yeah. Look, I would have gone after the dragon, but all I remember is magic missile. What do you want from me? <laughs> exactly right. I've got mag-
2: I've got magic missile and counter, so I'm not gonna do much good. Oh, that to go ahead and say, I, I in general love the spellbook mechanic. I think that the spellbook mechanic is it's expensive enough to go ahead and use it. It really balances the power of having base virtually an unlimited list of spells to pick from every time you want to go ahead and prepare them. I think having played a wizard before, because I played an evoker in a in a run of Tomb of the Annihilation, I did find that I was preparing the same. Spells all the time, like that was very much. That's very much a thing. Is that in my list of spells in that adventure book? I I needed the same spells every time, and I never prepared a spell that was a ritual because again, I, because of that mechanic, and cantrips were separate, but every single time I was sat down, we finished our rest and said, okay, now I'm preparing my spells. What spells do I want to change any of the spells that I've prepared? No, I don't. Because like, especially once I got up to like eighth, ninth level, I'm like, I need my fireball. I need my lightning bolt. I need witch bolt. I need all these things. I need all these offensive spells because I'm an evoker, right? I'm the ranged damage for this party because we had a tank and we had like a, we had a rogue and so a bunch of up-close damage. But I, I was the... I was at the back with my fighter defender guy who was making sure that I didn't get surrounded as I'm laying down fire on the big bads that are getting tanked
0: by by up front. I hear what you're saying, and I know I considered it um, something a player said to me in my game that I ran last night. We were transitioning from uh, an on-the-road piece. They knew they were going through treacherous territory. We had, between sessions, done the big long rest, and we opened up the scene with this big breakfast. They were in safe territory. They were under the protection of this ancient elf who had all kinds of backstory connections. And what I remembered vividly was two of the spellcasters there saying, as I'm like, okay, so we're pretty much done here. We're on the road. Take a moment to make sure you have everything you need and you got all your stuff done. And I remember two of the players saying, just got to double check because I'm going to switch the smells I prepare because we're going into a different, a different type of thing. And I took that as a badge of honor. And I was very pleased with that because that tells me that my campaign as a whole provides the variety necessary for players to change their repertoire for different types of scenarios like what they were doing when they were in city when they were doing this versus when they were on the road was very different than when they prepare for the big dragon fight or what have you that was awesome to me absolute mad credit to my players for recognizing that and doing that choosing the spells that gave them that variety but i think it does speak to the fact that storytellers have to create a game that makes that necessary and some of the box text type
1: pre-writtens just don't bouncing back to the spellbook thing just from like i don't know a, a writer nerd and liking to know the the why's behind things because you're talking about you like the mechanic of the spellbook i wanted to throw in there that when you're copying a spell into your spell book from somebody else, I really liked the way that they described the reason for the time and the cost. Like they made it narratively sound because magic missiles, magic missile. Yeah. But the wizard that you're whose book you found his notes and how he wrote it and everything takes time to decipher and figure out. I thought that was really cool.
0: And it does speak to flavoring your spells, a big thing in Tasha's something that we've talked about. I've often done my magic missiles look a certain color. Or I do a certain hand motion. I would love to play a game where there might be a magic users of different schools or what have you. We share a spell in common or we don't share a spell in common, but there's one that you do that we should all know. Like, let's say jo- Abdur Josh has shield. I didn't. You're going to put that in. I want to put that in my book. So I, as a player would take a listen to the way Abdur Josh, Describes him casting shield and I though I may cast it a different way other things a different way like I well up my power and I wave my hands in circular fashion but Josh draws triangles and and, and various polyhedral shapes yeah. in, in his hands like when I would do a spell that I copied from Josh's book I would take the time to take that flavor from Josh so I'm doing it his way and I, I think that, that would be amazing in a game. So, if you've got two magic users, that is really two, cool. Two uh, wizards, and they come at things differently, or if you have an NPC who's granting a spell to your player, players take note. That's the kind of flavor that will get you inspiration every gosh darn time.
1: <laughs> and storytellers out there, if you have that scenario and Hodari is learning shield from or Josh, give them half transcription time because he doesn't need to decipher any notes and give him half the cost because he's not going to make any mistakes with his ink because josh is teaching Abjur josh is teaching him the spell when you're talking about different spell lists that's exactly how i used to play my my wizards back in 3.5 when i played them all the time one of my favorite classes to play but i had a spell list for town a spell list for a dungeon a spell list for the wilderness Yep, because there was different utility you could bring in depends on how specialized you get
2: And if anybody out there is wondering why they keep referring to me as Abjurer Josh, go check out uh, (laughs) Class Warfare episode number one, because Abjurer Josh was the very creative, strongly narratively based Abjurer that I wrote up for the first Class Warfare episode. You can go see the depth of story and background that that I put behind uh, that particular (laughs) character. That's uh, a... Yeah, I'm basically a hobgoblin. Come on now. Everybody Everybody
0: needs their wisdom save. Um.
2: (laughs) Come on, that's at least a charisma save. I can bullshit with the best of them. So anyway, all that to go ahead and say, let's put a cap on this for tonight so we can get into the subclasses themselves. We're going to dive into the subclasses next week. We might make through all 13 of them in one episode, but most likely probably be two. Final thoughts on the wizards themselves. I'll start and then you guys can go in there. The real magic of the wizard class is in the subclasses. In general, when I looked at just the class features, if you look at just the class features of the wizard, other than the fact that they can cast magic, There was a lot that was underwhelming in this for me. We talked about the spell progression. We talked about the 18th and 20th level abilities. At the end of the day, the wizards are great because they can cast spells, and it is pretty clear that's where the focus of this class is in their spellcasting ability. Thank God for the subclasses, because otherwise I'm not sure that this would be a particularly dynamic class to play. I found a lot of it underwhelming.
0: So the dynamism of the wizard will come directly from the player yep. and their inspiration for their character that they built. yep. And I think that is partially a divergence from most other classes in this game. Yep. I think other classes, the flavor is there, the direction is there, it's all there, now it's up to you to just breathe life into it. The right. wizard, I think, experiences, Specs or demands that you already know where you're going. That you already have an idea. You pick the thing that matches that idea best as far as subclasses go. And now you're on fire. It's almost like the game, the spells breathe the life into it, but you are creating the thing. So I, I think it's very different. Like you have to have your personality because any one of the schools could be done in different. A multitude of ways. There's not a lot of specific direction with at least the player handbook schools, but there's not a lot of specific direction with the wizard. You've got to bring that as a player.
1: Totally agree. No, that's that's a very true story. What you bring to the table with the wizard is a lot of what you're going to get out of it, and you do have to do a lot of your customization through your spell choice and your spell selection, and that's a lot of where you're going to stand out. Which is why I think the bare bone structure of the base class is actually an excellent skeleton, as long as you're a player who wants to take the time to build your own unique wizard and create the concept for him. Because mm. Leo Nick is not wrong. But the actual specialty schools, they're not giving you that much of a direction or an entire story arc or path or any lore or history beyond, this is what you specialize in. you got to bring that. But between what you can bring with your spells and what you can bring from the subclasses, almost everyone can create a pretty unique wizard. And In that respect, in terms of how the whole class is built beyond the capstone abilities which we always complain about, I think wizard is the class backbone. The structure upon which everything else hangs is probably the most smooth and elegant, balanced set of maybe not balance because again the capstone abilities structure for creating that kit character because there's so much versatility from the other pieces. Interesting I don't think you yeah. could get it this slim. I don't think you could get it this slender and, and streamlined of again backbone with a fighter or oh maybe with a fighter. Uh warlock especially though they're pretty complicated. Yep. Um, Paladin, but the- warlock, barbarian like that yeah. But because yep. so many of the other pieces for the wizard come from the spells and the subclasses as opposed to the main one, it's really it was really easy for him to make this one really streamlined, and I like it a lot.
2: Yep, I think that that makes some sense, Glenn. This is just scaffolding, and that's all that it is. And that that if you look at it that way, yeah. That actually makes some sense to me.
1: That's so. what I mean by the subclasses should generate the capstone abilities. The main class is just the is just the scaffolding that the early character is built on. The rest of it should all come yep. from subclass.
2: All right, everybody. We will talk to you again next week when we dive into the wizard subclasses. But before we get into that next week, go check out the class warfare episode on wizards. It was a lot of fun, and we really want to do more of those. We would love to hear your feedback on it, and love to hear what you would like to hear next on that on that series of shows. And make sure you check out the video on the. YouTube channel. Also, all those links will be down in the show notes down below. So have a good night, everybody. We will talk to you again next week. Thank you for joining us. This has been Tabletop Journeys. We would love to hear your feedback on our show today. Join us at www.ttjourneys.com where you can subscribe to the blog to leave comments and see all the content that we publish beyond the podcast.
1: You can also stay in touch by subscribing to our Twitter at ttjourneys Journeys. By joining our Facebook group, Tabletop Journeys, or by sending an email directly to podcast at ttjourneys.com. And remember, if you want early access to all of our episodes, a chance to drop dice with your favorite hosts, and maybe even appear in one of our actual plays, you can join our Patreon to help support the show at patreon.com forward slash ttjourneys. If you're listening to us on Stitcher, iTunes, Podchaser, Spotify, or Audible,
0: we would appreciate you if you would like and subscribe to the podcast on that platform full episodes come out every week on saturdays and every tuesday features our actual play episodes thank you for listening and for being a part of our growing community and in the words of another traveler along our path we did you shade and sweet water